that it's uh, full of deadly poison. Um, actually, we don't think that way, do we? Uh, Martin Luther had a few things to say about James. One was he famously called it an epistle of straw. Another uh, passage that I'll read to you that he said uh, in one of his prefaces to James is this. Though this epistle of St. James was rejected by the ancients, I praise it and consider it a good book because it sets up no doctrines of men but vigorously promulgates the law of God. However, to state my own opinion about it, though without any prejudice to anyone, I do not regard it as the writing of an apostle and my reasons follow. In the first place... It is flatly against St. Paul and the rest of Scripture in ascribing justification by works. It says that Abraham was justified by his works when he offered his son Isaac. Uh, and so Paul go, or, uh, Luther goes on and says that uh, James is pretty good, but uh, it's not as good as Paul. Uh, and so my first question for those of you who are taking notes is, does James go too far? Uh, now, starting out, it's worth saying that uh, there's a lot in this text. There's more than I have time to go into. And uh, James starts out with a warning to those who teach or desire to teach that we uh, who teach um, will be dr- judged more strictly. And therefore, we should be very cautious about wanting to do, say what I'm doing, get into the pulpit and start talking. Uh, Now, he doesn't say that no one should teach. Uh, He, after all, was a teacher. Uh, Paul, in another text, says that those who desire to be elders desire a good thing. Um, There is a place for it, and uh, to put it briefly, uh, to lay aside the charge to teach is about the same thing as what Jesus talks about in the parable of the talents. If you've been called to teach and you don't, you're burying your talent, and uh, that's something we are told not to do. So that said, I can't talk about everything, and I'm going to be talking about the issue of the tongue, particularly the danger of the tongue and the results of the tongue that we have in all of our mouths that none of us is uh, guiltless of. And I'll start with a confession that I would love to preach, a gentler version of this text. I'm thinking something like this would be nice. Brothers and sisters... We need to be on guard about what we say. Look, sometimes people say things, they don't really mean it, people get offended. Uh, And when someone says something harsh, really we should just be gentle with each other and recognize we're all human. And uh, after all, it's only speech, right? And love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, So say something nice to one another. And uh, doesn't that sound... So nice, a little little softer, a little gentler, yet James will have none of this. Uh, James uh, doesn't talk about the tongue as something that might get you into trouble. James talks about the tongue as something that will burn down a forest and uh, poison someone uh, and bring about all manners of evil. The tongue is not something that sometimes gets out of hand, The tongue is something that will drive us into a place where we do great damage to ourselves, to those around us. And uh, as he puts it, is set on fire by hell, meaning 
Our tongues will at times be an instrument of the devil. Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Verse 8, the tongue is a restless evil, full of poison. According to James, the tongue can and does destroy lives. It is not just something that makes people feel bad from time to time. It is a fire that sets the entire course of life ablaze. Now we read this, and on one hand, we really want to minimize this. We really want to just kind of read it over and go straight to the gospel and say, okay, we read James. Um, what's next? Uh, anyone for Hebrews? Um, uh, or how about we just go back to Romans 8 or Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 again? Yet on the other hand, when we read this and we look at the world, uh, we do live in a world where sins of the tongue, sins of communication do have enormous consequences. We live in the day when uh, we regularly read about people who are caught, where they have said something or they have tweeted something, and the next day uh, they're losing their job. They're selling their business. They're resigning. uh, They are finished as an actor. They are... Uh, The list goes on. And, of course, if we look in our own lives, we see that the tongue is not something that is neutral. Uh, And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Now, my second question for those uh, who are taking notes, does James give too much credit to the tongue? Sure, what he says is, is right, but come on, really? Well, according to several amazing facts of the Human Body websites, the tongue is the strongest muscle in the human body. No, it isn't. Nor is the tongue even a single muscle. Uh, Yet, like so many urban legends on the Internet, uh, you can still find this uh, all over the place, and it just keeps going. Uh, All sorts of claims... uh, No one ever talks about how uh, we don't um, swing the baseball bat with our tongue because we get it farther or uh, anything like that. Um, The tongue is remarkable, but the Internet has overrated it. Is James making the same mistake? Does James just need to lighten up here? Does James need to say, hey, yeah, sometimes we do say things, we regret them, sometimes... We don't have full control, Uh, but come on, James. A fire? Something that starts forest fires? Really? Well, maybe we can find some other scripture that will set James straight and uh, show him that the tongue isn't quite so bad. Or can we? If you look in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, we find two commandments out of ten, deal with sins of the mouth. One, you shall not take the uh, the Lord's name in vain. And two, you shall not commit false testimony. 
That is, you shall not lie in court against your neighbor. One-fifth of the Ten Commandments are centered around the tongue. Well, what about Proverbs? Maybe we'll find something there. Proverbs 15, 2 to 4. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18, 6 and 7. The lips of the fool bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. The mouth of the fools are their undoing. Their lips are a snare to their very lives. We could keep going for quite a while reading things about the tongue, the mouth, the um, about lips, all talking about sins of, of speech. But what about Paul? Surely Paul, who talks about salvation by grace, uh, Paul is the one who says, we are not saved by works, we are saved by grace through faith. Surely he's going to say something, and he does. Romans 3, 10 to 18. As it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul, too, quoting the Old Testament, recognizes that the tongue, that the mouth, is a, a source of great evil, that it is dangerous that it is full of poison, that it is something that can bring ruin to us and to those around us. Now, James explores the nature of the tongue and gives some interesting illustrations. His first two examples speak of steering. He talks about how uh, the tongue is like a bit in the mouth of a horse. Uh, First, in verse 2, he says, if anyone is able to control his tongue, he is a perfect man, able to control his whole body. Uh, Now, we shouldn't read that, I'm convinced, as him saying, some of you guys have got it down and some of you are perfect. Um, There are other things that he says, there are other things in Scripture that say, no, that's simply not the case. We'll look in a little bit about how he says, you break part of the law, you break the whole law. Uh, Paul says something similar. But James uses this example of a bridle and a bit. And he uses the example of a rudder. And both of these are interesting because they are not something that is a result. They are a cause of direction. 
In both of these cases, the tongue is not something that moves in the direction we point it. Instead, we move in the direction our tongue points. This should cause us pause and make us think. And if any of you are married, or some of you who have siblings, uh, or any of you who have roommates or have had roommates can probably attest, if you think about your life, I want you to think about times when you have said something. Sometimes we say things like that get us into trouble because we're just having an off day. Maybe you've done this. You wake up in the morning, you say something, uh, you're not even quite aware of what you were saying, and the rest of the day is wrecked. Other times, we're saying something, and we're pushing back. Somebody says something to you, well, that was a little bit rude. Let me show you what I got. Oh, I'm sorry, you're on fire right now. Uh, I didn't intend that. Um, Other times, we knowingly, actively say things that we know are going to cause pain. Uh, Biblically, that's the case. Whatever the case, what we see is that uh, the tongue does direct us. And if James had rockets in his day, I'm sure he would have used that as an illustration, that you get the rocket, you point it at the moon or whatever direction to get pulled toward the moon, you're off by half a degree, you don't end up there. Uh, So it is with the tongue. A little bit off, and you end up in a place going, why am I in this place? Uh... Why is this person so angry at me? Uh, All I said was X. So if we look at our lives, we do see that what James talks about, the tongue directing the life, does happen. But why is the tongue so dangerous? It's an interesting thing. As he says, no one is immune. He says that the tongue is a fire, which is the other big metaphor. The tongue has been set on fire by hell. Peter, the apostle Peter, experienced this. Peter, who on a great day says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him in response, you are Peter, Petros, the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter was having a good day. And then Jesus went on to speak plainly with him and and say, I am going to be crucified, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised again. And Peter, thinking, no, this this isn't right. Jesus, don't talk that way. Look, you're not going to die. You're going to be king. 
Things are going to be great. We're going to bring in a new Israel, and uh, you, don't, you don't have to do that. Now, we don't know exactly what Peter says, but we know what Jesus said next. Away from me, Satan. For you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Here you had Peter, an apostle, fresh off of getting named the rock, fresh off of uh, an absolute mountaintop experience in terms of spirituality being used as a tool of Satan to try to derail Jesus from the path of the cross. If it can happen to him, it certainly can happen to us. And that's what James says. Why is the tongue so dangerous? Another reason, or partly the whole reason, is because the tongue is the voice of the heart. Jesus, in Matthew five seventeen to 20, says this. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? And he's talking about uh, ceremonial cleanliness and his disciples didn't wash their hands and some people got upset. Jesus continues, but the thing that comes out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Whenever you open your mouth, whenever I open my mouth, we do something very dangerous. We uncap our heart. Going back uh, to what Paul says, you look at what he says, their throats are open graves, their tongue practice deceit. James here saying, your, your tongue has been set on fire by hell. That's quite a claim. And yet the reason that's the case is because we are wicked people and in us, even if we have been redeemed, is still the taint of sin and our hearts are wild and so too is our tongue. James calls it a restless evil in verse 8. You can try to hold on to the tongue. It's going to slip away from you. Uh, You can try to bridle the tongue. It will sneak out. Again, because our heart is not completely pure. And with with an impure heart, the tongue is only going to follow suit and do um, what it does. Question three. So if none of us are immune, if all of us have this problem, where is the gospel in all of this? One of Luther's biggest problems with James was that James didn't talk about justification by works, or sorry, justification by faith, or about substitutionary atonement. Nowhere in the passage today does he say Jesus died on the cross to forgive you. In fact, he doesn't say it in his whole book. 
he doesn't say that we're saved by grace. At one point, uh, a couple Sundays ago, he actually said, some of you say you're saved by faith. Show me your works. Demonstrate your faith. Faith without works is dead. Abraham was justified by what he did. Now, the first way to start to kind of understand this, to see how it plays out, is to recognize the very simple truth that James is not Paul. Uh, And uh, once we give him that permission, uh, then we can understand that if James is not Paul, James isn't writing to the same people Paul is writing to. That doesn't mean he has a different gospel. Um, Paul, after all, said if anyone preaches a different gospel, let him be cut off, uh, written in the book of Galatians, which is roughly written at the same time uh, in the late 40s A.D. So here you have one guy saying you're saved by faith, not works, Another guy saying you're justified by your works. And what James means is not that works are what cause us to be justified. In other words, you're not saved because you do something or don't do something. Rather, what he's saying was Abraham was shown to be righteous, sometimes called vindicated, uh, that he was demonstrated to be, that he was shown to be a believer based on what he did. Uh, He wasn't saved because he did righteous things. But James is saying, look, you can't say I'm I'm saved by faith. Now I'm going to go mow down all my opponents with my tongue of fire uh, and smile afterwards saying, doesn't matter. I'm I'm saved saved by faith. Uh, Doesn't work that way. So that's what James isn't saying. So what is he saying? Well, Paul was writing to a group of Gentile Christians who were being told by Jewish Christians, who interestingly came from James, but uh, they were being told, look, you're a part of the, the kingdom of God. We've sort of admitted that now. Okay, Gentiles can come in. But if you really want to be a Christian, you have to at least keep the big parts of the law. Um, And there's debate over exactly how far they went, but Paul comes along and says, look, you try to keep one part of the law, you have to keep the whole thing. If you try to keep the whole thing, you're under a curse, and uh, it's not going to go well for you. You're saved by grace. James is writing to a completely different group. He's writing to a group of Jewish Christians. You don't have to tell Jewish Christians that... um, Gentiles don't need to. It it really hadn't come into their mind yet. Uh, What he's countering is not legalists or Judaizers who are saying you have to live like a Jew. What he's countering is people who think uh, that they can live however they please because they've been saved by faith. After all, this guy Paul, he he says we're saved by faith. We've been released from the burden of the law. Grace alone. Uh, Let's live it up. Uh, Who cares how we live? We We can be wild and free. James says, no. Uh, You can't just say, I have faith, and then live 
like a pagan. Doesn't work. Now, the other part to kind of speak in James' defense is that salvation by grace through faith is a huge part of the gospel, but it's not the only word to be said. Uh, Luther may have wanted everybody to say at some point, just so you know, I affirm salvation by grace alone through faith alone and all the five solas of the Reformation. Uh, hadn't been, those hadn't come around yet. Uh, but James is speaking out of a concern for the gospel, out of a concern for the church, and he gets there. Uh, and in a moment, we're going to look at how uh, this does eventually in the book of James come around to grace. Now, is James advocating sanctification by intense effort? Is he saying that we become better Christians by trying extra hard? Uh, One commentator did not quite suggest that, but he basically reads James as saying, okay, guys, look, the tongue is the secret. The tongue is the thing. If you can get that down, if you can lock that down, the rest is going to follow. And on one hand, it is right to say, look, guard your tongues. Be on guard. Be ready. And uh, don't speak carelessly. That, that's there. That's part of it. But the, what James is not going for is, look, you just need to try a bit harder. If you increase that effort, 35%, then, uh, then you'll do it. Uh, verse 2 of our passage, for we all stumble in many ways. Add to this James 2, verse 10. Forever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has been become accountable for all of it. Paul agrees, Galatians 3, 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law, the law, and do them. So where does that leave us? I thought about uh, having us buy up a whole bunch of ivory soap and passing one out and giving an assignment that every day we need to just bite down for half an hour. And it doesn't work that way. Uh, But the key to this comes later in James. James 4, 6 to 10 Listen to this. James, who recognizes that all of us struggle, that all of us will stumble, that at times your mouth is going to light a forest on fire. James 4, 6 to 10. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, 
and he will exalt you. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The tongue is something that boasts. The tongue is something that cuts down. The tongue is something that is set on fire by hell. The antidote, the antidote is not to just steel yourself, to, to just brace yourself and hold tight to those reins and keep that tongue in check. Not that we shouldn't try to keep our tongue in check, but that will not go well for you. It won't go well for me. The antidote to the boasting tongue is a humble heart submitted to God. The solution is not to stop speaking altogether either. Uh, nor, again, is this passage meant to say, none of you should be teachers because you might mess up and you probably will. Instead, we are called to be vigilant, but we're called to take a good look at our tongues and as our hearts, and as we look at our tongues and our hearts and see that we are corrupt, we are to go before our Heavenly Father and go before our Lord Jesus Christ and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as James says, humble yourself and he will lift you up. Let's pray.